With more than 35 years of experience in the industry, Impact Exploration Services has you covered for all your mud logging, geosteering, and geoscience service needs. Impact Exploration Services covers every basin in the lower 48 and can customize the services to your needs. Impact Exploration Services sets the professional standard, and the next time you have problems to solve and questions to answer, think Impact Exploration Services. Three, two, one, let's, let's go. go. I am the host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, sitting in Houston, Texas. The humidity has not got to the point of uncomfortable, but it's certainly noticeable. That's all I'm going to say at this point. It's supposed to be 80 degrees, a little overcast. We definitely have a breeze going, uh, but it's nice. The weather's right. It's crisp right now. We're sitting at the Blue Moon Stratigraph with friends, Crawfish Boil. There are Probably a hundred and some odd people sitting on the other side of us over here, just elbows deep in crawfish and potatoes and everything else that comes with this beers in hand. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Sir, introduce yourself. I can't wait to get into this story. Okay. Wayne Wisneski. I'm a, uh, the, the owner of Ascend Energy Partners and uh, go back, have, a, have a, a, a fairly long history in the oil business. Started in 1983. 83. Yeah, uh-huh, with a, with a small operator, and then have been with uh, uh, larger operators, uh, Occidental. Uh, oh, is that right? BP, primarily. Really? Spent a lot of my career with BP before circling out of there in uh, about 11 years ago to run a Canadian company. Is that right? All right, we, let's rock it back just for a minute. You go to high school in Texas. You yep. go to college in Texas. What do, what degrees do you have, and where'd you go to school? So went to school at Texas A and M. Uh, have a petroleum engineering degree, uh-huh. and then uh, kind of mid career got an MBA at SMU. Whoa! So all all Texas schools. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Texas proud. You're born in Texas? No, uh, got here when I was in high school. Was actually born in South Carolina. My father was in the military. So lived a lot of places, went to nine different schools the first nine years, Jeez. but uh, Fort Worth for high school. And then, of course, College Station. Once you got in control, right. you stayed. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Once wow. he retired, he re- he retired in Texas. Wow. Wow. And what branch was he in? He was in the Air Force. Oh, OK. Oh, no, an actual pilot? Or no, no. He was an enlisted man, but uh, he served in Korea and also in Vietnam. And so uh, he's passed away uh, some years ago. But uh yeah, a, a, a veteran of uh, of two wars. Wow. You have brothers and sisters? I do not, no. You were the only child. That's right. That's right. They broke the mold. <laughs> and your mom, was your mom stay at home or she worked? Uh, she was a nurse, actually. She yep. was a nurse. She was a nurse and worked up until she was uh, in her early 70s, actually, wow. as a nurse. Sheesh. Mm-hmm. My grandma, I think 90 this year, still taking care of people. Yep. She's a nurse her whole life, still walking down the neighborhood and checking on people and It's amazing, man. The people that the nurses that really are nurses, the ones that really are into it are just amazing people. Yeah, absolutely. First responders. It goes for anything. It goes for every part of the industry. People that really care about the oil and gas industry, really care about energy, poverty, you know, what the energy industry does for societies, people that are passionate about that and really put a life effort into developing that and developing the next generation and how academia is keeping up with industry, what industry might be missing. And that kind of goes into the show a little bit when I said the, what the industry might be missing. I mean, the traditional way of fracking, and I think I, I just had a conversation with someone, one of the, pro- the largest private operators in Texas, and he, sa- he jokingly says, you know, the engineers just, 
they see the whole patch of, of acreage and how many sticks can you put on the map? Let's yep. just go drill them. Yep. Let's go drill them. And they say, hey, maybe we need to complete. They're like, ah, get out of here, geologists. <laughs> We're just going to keep doing what we do. Yep, yep. It's a, it's a factory operation nowadays. There's no doubt about it. Do you think that, I mean, that's got to be just strongly economically defended, right? I mean, because the CEO and, and all these other people that are in the room going, hey, if we can we make the wells better? I mean, is it, don't we want to do that? And sure, the engineers are like, yeah, we want to make it better, but at what expense, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you, if you look back at it, Troy, oil prices started to fall in 2014. Right. Uh, the fall of 2014 was kind of the the peak of oil prices. And then they went on a downward slide for the next, you know, uh, eight or nine years. And in with that, the only thing people have really been focused, it, I, I don't want to say the only thing, but the where the big focus has been is how do we reduce costs? Right. You know, yeah, there's been some, some uh, uh, thought put towards doing things differently, but it's really about efficiency and reducing costs. No, no doubt about it. And we've gotten very efficient. I mean, I, I think it's going to be hard to drive additional efficiencies as we go forward. Yeah. Because fracking, for example, uh, it's just it's gotten to be a very efficient factory. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they are good at it. Yeah. Mean, and there's arguably nobody else in the world that's doing it better. Right. So, you right. know, this is we, we're riding the front lines of something. But at the same time, you can identify that, man, the. 7,500 foot lateral, there's only about a quarter of that in a sandstone or in something that actually came back with hydrocarbon shows. And there they are just fracking the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it's, yep. you're going whole, like, I get it. It's, it's a very, it's a real challenge. I don't mean to be offensive with saying that there needs to be new ideas because the industry really does do a great job at innovating. They, they it, are it innovators. It, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is, arguably the most innovative industry in the entire world. And uh, I mean, all you have to do is kind of look at what we've done with shale wells. Uh, I mean, who would have thought that 20 years ago? Yeah. No one. Yeah, so. I agree. Now, okay, you get out of school. Um, what was your first job as a petroleum engineer? Well, so my first job uh, in the oil patch was actually before I graduated. Oh, uh, cool. My wife, Christy, and I were married at the time and, and uh, living in College Station. And, no kids yet? Uh, no, no kids All at the right. time. But uh, but we had one on the way. Oh. And uh, I needed to do something to make some money, That's quite right. frankly. <laughs> That's right. So uh, I, I, th that was the spring of 1980. Uh, I told the, the department that uh, I was going to take a little break and try to make some money and if things went well, I'd come back to school. Okay. And uh, so I was. We were living in Fort Worth, and uh, uh, I was actually working at the post office from uh, four in the afternoon until one in the morning. Jeez. And then taking a a, a couple of classes uh, during the daytime. Wow. And I got a call from the Department of Petroleum Engineering, and they said, "Hey, we've got this guy. He's an, an Aggie. He needs a directional driller." And we know you you'd be just the guy if you want to do that. It's up in Wyoming. Wow. And uh, you ever been to Wyoming? Never yet? been to Wyoming. <laughs> oh, no, man. didn't know didn't know what a directional driller was at the time. Quite frankly, <laughs> you were ready though. You were but like, they said, hey, they said, you know, the, the the biggest issue is can you work a forty one CV calculator? And of course, as an engineering student, that's the box you could check right there. So, uh, long story short, uh, I, I met Ed Anders. He he had some new technology, okay. uh, and some patents. He was working for Gulf Research up there drilling some directional wells in uh, out out of uh, outside of Rollins Wyoming 
So anyway, uh, I was one of the two directional drillers on that uh, on that project, and uh, you know, kind of picked it up pretty quickly, learned yeah. it, uh, loved it, and he had some, like I say, some technology that uh, uh, we were utilizing for Gulf. Uh, Can Gulf we research. talk about that, or is that still kind oh, of? No, no, no. It, it, it was uh, it, it was actually uh, directional drilling technology, and it kind of consisted of both a a design path along the path of a catenary curve which is the the same path that say an anchor chain makes from a from a ship to, uh -huh. to the anchor and that's a very unique curve mathematically and it can be modeled uh, but when you drill a directional well along that path uh, you, you're able to reduce torque and drag so it's used for instance for these very 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 long uh, reach horizontal wells like you'd see up in Sakhalin Island or some of these others where the reach, you know, people are going out multiple miles from the surface. Wait a minute. The curve is multiple miles getting out yeah, there? Is yeah, that what yeah, you mean? Yeah, oh, uh -huh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Usually anyway. it's like 700, 1,000 foot curve, yeah, you know, yeah, to get into a horizontal. Yeah, yeah. It actually kicks off very, very high and has a very, very low build rate until it gets further down to the bottom and then the build rate increases. Uh, but he also had some technology for uh, uh, determining uh, bit deflection uh, using uh, stabilizers between drill collars. And uh, so a, a few other uh, tools in the tool bag that were later sold to daily directional services. Uh, a lot of people won't, won't uh, remember daily, but uh, uh, it, it, it ultimately became Weatherford. So Weatherford ah. ultimately owned that technology. They still have those stabilizers? Uh, sure they do, right? Well, I don't. I bet nobody's used any of that technology for a while. Oh, okay. Now, the catenary curve, yes. In fact, there was a, a major service company that uh, uh, infringed on the patent and uh, uh, made Weatherford a little bit of money on that. But uh, that's, wow. uh, that's, 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 that's the point for another podcast. <laughs> anyway, I was working up in Wyoming for Ed in, uh, yeah. in, in 1980, and uh, it was great. I mean, I was making more money than I ever knew uh, a person could make. Was Christy with you? Christy was in Fort Worth, but okay. she made a few trips up to Wyoming uh, once the baby was born. And oh, so they came up, gosh. the baby slept in a, the drawer of a Chester drawers at the hotel while she was up there. And uh, so yeah, it was wow. it was it was good times. It I can't was good. imagine my wife if she heard that she'd be just gone. If you did that to me, <laughs> oh man, wow! You were up there yeah. while your baby was born. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the, the 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 part of the story that I like to tell is kind of how I got back to A and M and finished my degree. Okay. So uh, Ed had a a a contract with Lawrence Livermore Labs to go over into Eastern Europe behind the Iron Curtain. And wow. this is where I can't say a whole lot. You think about 1980, what was going on wow. with the Cold War. Yeah. But he needed to send a rig and two directional drillers over for this project. And it was, uh, like I said, it was a, a State Department deal, very, very hush-hush. And I, I heard, as you do in the oil field, you know, things travel fast, the rumor mill. And so I heard on the project that he was looking for a second directional driller to go over to uh, uh, oh, wow. to, to Eastern Europe okay. at this time. So you're kind of... And the, the number one, the lead guy, was had already signed on to go. And so I finally just went to Ed and I said, Ed, uh, hey, I'm, I'm your guy. You know, I mean, look no further. Why haven't you talked to me about this? You see what I'm doing up here and you know I'm doing a good job. You know I can do the work. And uh, the, the, the only time that I ever saw Ed really kind of angry uh, with, with, with me... Uh, boy, he read me the riot act. He said, 
our deal was you finish this job up here and you go back to school and finish your engineering degree. Wow. He said, if you don't go now, you'll never finish your engineering degree. So he said, you are not going over to Europe on this job for me. He said, I don't care if I can't find anybody. He said, I know you're not the guy that's going to be going. Wow. That must have been wild. So I went back to school, started in January of uh, 1981, uh, finished up my degree. And, uh, of course, we had enough money saved up that we, we both worked. Uh, while I was finishing the degree, but we were able to, you know, get a place yeah. and, and finish up and, Man, uh, and and everything else. So that's yeah, great. so I've got real fond memories of uh, of Ed. And then, kind of fast forward through the years, uh, uh, he's he he he's developed this Kinfrac technology. Uh, it consists of four patents uh, with two additional patents that uh, that were waiting to be issued. Uh, and and I, you know, I although. Uh, uh, the Anders family would say that I helped develop it. Uh, I, I didn't really do much. I mean, it's it's all Ed's work. His he's a mechanical engineer, brilliant guy. Uh, just uh, absolutely has uh, a number of, of patents. I mean, you can't count them on on all your hands and all your feet. Jeez. Uh, but this was kind of his last thing that he came up with. Uh, he was retired at the time. And he would call occasionally and say, Wayne, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? So uh, I, I helped where I could. But, I mean, it, the, I, he's the, the brains and 100% behind all of the patents and the Kinfrac technology. Right on. Well, before we dive into the Kinfrac technology, you saw this book, Comes Your Well in My Backyard. You said that was, what, by the time you graduated college, you were reading this? Yeah, I actually did read this. It's a really good book book and a really nice primer in fact i'm just looking at it copyright 1971 so it's it's been around for a while but it's a great primer on uh on on the uh, on the industry right just kind of all around what it takes what it's what's happening there the land side the legal the engineering yeah absolutely in fact i'd like to know where my copy of it went (laughs) i had a copy once upon a time (laughs) sounds like i got a good christmas gift for you this isn't my copy is it (laughs) (laughs) i didn't take that from you no that was me i don't know why i got that or who took uh, turned me on to that. It could have been a previous boss or something, but I, I once I saw it, I read it. I'm like, this is a great piece of work. You know, I kept it on the shelf yeah. and now I just bring it up and I just have these books like the Stay Positive book, right? I have these things just to kind of, what kind of things drop out from something like this? So listen to this. When you face a setback, think of it as a defining moment that will lead to a future accomplishment. Yeah. You believe in that? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Yep. Yeah, you don't get this far in the oil and gas business without uh, striking out a few times. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, at that point, you can either, uh, uh, what, what do they say? You can either quit or learn. So when you met Ed for the first time and really got to start working with him, what what was it like? What was he like? I, I asked uh, Liz's husband, uh, Mike, the same question. You know, what was he like? Just his personality, and and what was what was some some things about him that really you, you took away from, and that you still carry with you today? First and foremost, uh, I've I, I've never been around a more brilliant person, and you know when you've gone through an engineering program at A and M, and then you know of course uh, uh, the the MBA at SMU, you know you're you're and, and then in the in the industry, yeah, you're, talented you're, people, a lot of talented people. A lot of PhDs that, uh, that that do some really great work, but Ed had the had a mind like I've never seen before. It was uh, he he just thought differently. Uh, he had such an incredible grasp of the fundamentals of physics and engineering, 
and he could apply those to 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 anything. I mean, simplified. He could, the he could look at you know something out in that field and and apply apply those basics to to anything simple or anything complex. So he had a, a I mean, I've just never been around someone that had a mind that was that brilliant. It reminds me of that movie, A Brilliant Mind. Okay. Uh, his he, he his mind actually worked differently than 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 ours do. They really, really did. So that was really neat to see. And of course, it it led to uh, there. There were times when people didn't understand what he was really, you know, his ideas. I remember early on his uh, uh, the 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 work that he did on the catenary curve yeah. for directional drilling, and 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 him trying to explain it to uh, some people at Exxon Drilling at the time, uh, and they had a real hard time grasping it. And these are some PhDs. Yeah. But once they finally did. You know, he, he had a, a chain that he would hold and he'd say, look, imagine a drill string. Here it is at the rotary table and here's the bit. And the shape that that chain makes is a catenary curve and can be modeled mathematically. And so anyway, uh, it's a great, uh, I'll tell you one thing that's kind of off subject is now with rotary steerables, you could drill that curve perfectly. You know, back in the day, in 1980, in 1983, 1985, you were sliding, trying to, absolutely, it was a tough, tough go. Wow. And now with rotary steerable, you could drill a curve like that uh, really, really well. But the, but the other thing, and, and the thing that is, is uh, it, what was, was very unique is he was a real people person. He cared about people. He really worked to try and help people. And, uh, you know, it, it was amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm one of countless people that he helped along the way. I mean, I look, my life was, was, was really changed by meeting him. I mean, you think about had, uh, had, had he not made the decision that he made, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'd, I'd probably be directional driller right now, I guess. I don't In know. Eastern Europe. <laughs> In Eastern Europe, hopefully not. <laughs> Or, or be in prison. I don't know. Jeez. But uh, anyway, you know, he really impacted a lot of lives and, and, and he, he did a lot of good for a lot of people. And, and he was really, you know, about doing everything he could to help people. You know, I, I feel like there's a, there's the technical side of Ken Frack and I'm all into that. And I really learn a lot from you every time we're on a call or I, I listen to your feedback on things. I'm like, man, this is very intriguing, you know, just yeah. the technical side of it. But you also have the person of Ed Anders. And that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to capture and I'm trying to understand is if he had the ability to make an impact on someone like you in your life and you remember him the way you do. And he's done that with so many other people. His patent is really like a legacy vehicle for him to make an impact on entire societies. Yeah. Arguably a whole country. The United States couldn't can benefit if they get to the level of trust that you have for Ed Anders and what he's done and you believe in what he's created in Kenfrack. And, and I'll tell you that that was absolutely his vision for Kenfrack. It wasn't to, you know, develop technology and make a few bucks. That was never what it was about. It was all it was all about trying to change society for the better. I mean, you know, he, he was he was all about the US being uh, self-sufficient in energy, energy and being able to use this this technology for cheaper fuel. Uh, I mean, uh, I never talked to him when he 
when he when he thought about his vision being, you know, well, I'd like to sell this patent or sell this technology. That was never ever a thought. It was always, hey, you want to develop this? This can this can revolutionize the oil and gas business, and as a result, it can help society. I mean, Gosh. that was always the vision from I day one. In fact, that was really kind of what got him started rather than kind of having a hammer and looking for a nail. It was like, what can I do? What technology out there is ripe that needs to be changed that can really impact not only the industry, but society. Wow. And that, that was it. really the start of it. And then from there, Ken Frack grew. Wow. So his motivation was pure and large and yeah. like a major vision. Yeah. But he also had the discipline yeah. and the natural talent yeah. to sit down and actually work out a problem fundamentally across the board. So when you look at these patents or you think of a this blueprint that people have to to build what he had in his mind and what he's he's put on paper, do you think it's perfectly built? So I think conceptually it is. The issue is how do you operationalize it? And I think that's the hurdle that we need to go over next. Okay. Because from a technology standpoint, from a physics standpoint, and I'll go into that in just a bit, it's actually, it, which is kind of the front and center of who he was, it's a fairly simple concept. And I think when people see it and they understand it, it's like, wow, yeah, that's pretty simple. You know, yeah. it's not, uh, it's not uh, some kind of, uh, you know, crazy yeah. idea out there. I've been on the calls yeah. with you. And uh, then, these people and, get it pretty quickly and they yeah. start asking the questions. Mm -hmm. They yeah. start asking. So the next things. thing then is, well, how do you operationalize it? Right. And that's where the, the, the problem is. But it's always been the problem in the oil and gas industry. You know, the oil and gas industry does not like to change and it does not like to do things differently. Great with technology, great with adapting technology. But a lot of it is kind of... Uh, over longer periods of time and more incremental changes, uh, gradualism. You know, this is this is this is a this is a change to how we frack operationally. This is a change to the factory. You can't do it exactly like like the factory process is working now. Now you can certainly turn it into a factory type process, but it's different than the than the than than what we do currently. Man. I'd see, I feel like that's the rub. Just like intellectually, you can say, all right, we have a factory. We're doing it. It's been accepted. Money comes into this factory. We put horizontal wells down this way. And then you, someone comes along and says, hold on. Maybe electric vehicles are more efficient. Yeah. Maybe they can make the company more money. Maybe Elon Musk does this and yeah. changes it. But when someone in the oil industry kind of thinks about, oh, is that is that the analog? Like, Ah, who knows what's going to happen with electrical vehicles or so? You know, it's just like a if you think about it in in uh, in a way that it's going to be a slight change. I feel like Ken Frack is a major a major change. It is, and you know, Troy, just hearing you talk is really uh, really kind of struck a nerve with me, and and really did something to me because wouldn't it be great if we had an Elon Musk type person? that could come along and say, you know what? I'm willing to develop this technology because I, I have the money and yeah. I have the vision and I think I can change what we do for the better. And it would be so cool if we had that person in the oil and gas business. Uh, because look, whether you like Elon Musk or, or not, it doesn't matter. He fundamentally had a vision 
and he put his money where his mouth was or other people's money, but regardless. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he changed kind of where we are. And, and let me tell you what, it would take a whole lot less money than Elon Musk uh, started out with to, uh, to, to really develop Kinfrac like it needs to be developed. And uh, it would be fantastic if there was somebody listening to this podcast that said, you know what, I want to take a swing here. Yeah. I want to be that guy that, that 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 changes things and brings you know brings a different way of doing things in a more effective way. That'd be awesome. That's what we're after, man. That's yeah. exactly what we're after. We don't know who it is. We don't know like right. We just let's get these ideas out there. They're real. We have very real conversations when we have these meetings with people and companies who are interested to really take a look at this and start asking questions. And it's fascinating absolutely fascinating these guys have been in the industry for so long they get it but again there's these operational kind of risks to yep. it yep. and you just got to get over that one hump yeah that one little hump like an elon musk just says forget it you're either yep. gonna blow right over those humps you got it or, or you're gonna miss it yeah yep yep and and really the you know the the if you look at kind of what the the negative things are right now that that ken frack is kind of swimming upstream against yeah well first of all the inventor passed away but his technology lives on through the patents and the process so that's something that's you know very very well developed um and his uh you know his heirs his his daughter and son-in-law actually control that now they're not you know oil and gas people although mike uh the son-in-law does have a, a a geophysics background right but you know, it's it's kind of languishing because there's no one to really push it along and, and no one that has the, the the capital to push it along either. So, you know, we kind of got this thing that's just languishing. And I, I look at it kind of like uh, uh, Shark Tank in a way. You know, one of the things they say is, hey, we're here to pour, pour capital, to pour fuel on the fire and start a bonfire. And unfortunately, this is at the very early stages. So it's just a little spark right now. But what we really need is someone that can pour some capital in and take that little spark and help make it into a bonfire. Gosh, I am all for that, man. I am absolutely all for that. Now, let's uh, let's talk about a little bit more of the, the details of Ken Brack and kind of fundamentally from your perspective. Someone asks you in an elevator, essentially, you know, how does it work? Uh-huh. What is this? Well, so Ken Frack is, is really the, the, the name. Let's start with the name. Uh, it comes from using kinetic energy in the fracking process. Uh, kinetic energy is not used today. So I won't go into long detail about the energy equation and the components, but basically kinfrac utilizes kinetic energy. And in the most simple term of what kinetic energy and how it, how it does it, uh, imagine that you're circulating fluid in a wellbore down the tubing, yep. back up the casing. Okay. And all of a sudden, you close an annular valve. You just slam that annular valve shut. Well, all that force now that is is forced down, and so that that kinetic energy is that is that energy of motion that suddenly stopped, and all ah. of that force has to go somewhere, and it goes down into the formation to frack it. Ah. Now, one of the things that people uh, that hear this for the first time often uh, will we'll, we'll kind of confuse it for is water hammer. They say, well, you know, we've heard a water hammer. We've used a water hammer before. What, this is not a water hammer. 
And the reason is because uh, water is an incompressible fluid. It cannot store energy. Okay. So with Kinfrac, the frac fluid has got a, a, uh, an energized fluid as part of it, which is just a fancy way to say 30% CO2 or 30% nitrogen, say. Okay. Well, when that valve, that annular valve is suddenly shut, all of that CO2 or nitrogen is compressed in the fluid and it acts just like a giant spring that releases ah, that energy. The, the energy, when you okay. have a non-compressible fluid in a water hammer, that is a microsecond worth of energy. That, right. That, it it that, has that the kinetic hits. energy. Yeah. It has a spring, but yeah. it's just not you, you loaded. You just can't store that, that energy in the, in the uncompressible fluid. So that's really what we're talking about is you, you have to kind of say, okay, the kinetic energy part doesn't work. In fact, I got to tell you, I'm an engineer and I, you know, I think that I'm relatively smart. I don't think uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I got an engineering degree <laughs> anyway. And, 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 and I argued with it. I argued with, I remember one night about 11 o'clock at night arguing with him on the telephone. And he said, no, it has to have CO2 in it. I said, why, why don't we just use regular frac fluid and just close the valve? And he had already done the calculations on that. And he said, the reason is because you cannot store energy in a non-compressible fluid. He said that energy will be a microsecond of dissipation. And he goes, that's not going to do get it. what we need to get. He said, you have to have the CO2 or nitrogen or some compressible fluid uh, in with the, the frac fluid. And then I kind of went, okay, I get it. But I mean, here I am. I've been sitting through this and listening to his reasoning and seeing yeah. his math, which I got to tell you, uh, <laughs> left me after about the first 30 seconds. But anyway, uh, you know, so, but, but I mean, uh, when I hear people that don't, that they, they, they say, oh, this is just a water hammer, right? I really am patient because I didn't get it when I first heard it. And I was very close to the technology. Right. Okay. Right. So I have a lot of patience for that because I know, you, you know, I know where I was yep. uh, and, and, and I had been hearing about this for, you know, months and months and months and seeing the conceptual drawings and everything. And so um, that's that's uh, that's it in a nutshell. It's harnessing kinetic energy in a in a frack job and using that kinetic energy. Now, you think about right now, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to digress for a minute, Troy, you can cut all this out no. uh, <laughs> if you need to. I, I don't, it, it won't hurt my feelings. Yeah. But, you know, what have we done in fracturing over the last 10 years? How have we made it so, so good? Yeah. Well, you know, we've, we've added perforation clusters. We've added, you know, we've gone from two or three clusters to many, many more clusters Increase the size of the we've prop and decrease the prop Decrease the prop in size. We've added stages. We've, That's right. You Slick know, water, gels. All, yeah, yep. all this stuff. Every so we've done, we've done all this stuff, but it's all kind of incremental gains. And really, you can do all that without technology. I mean, to perforate another, another cluster, you don't need technology to do that. You just need to do it, right? <laughs> <Okay>. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to pump smaller mesh sand... You don't need technology. You just pump smaller mesh sand. So it hasn't really been technology driven. It's been process driven. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, so I, I just, you know, think about, let's, let's get it down to a, to a, a, a simple level, a perforation cluster. You know, right now, I think the industry is, uh, there's different numbers, but you say how many perforations in a, in a perforation stage are open with current freight? Well, you know, 
fifty percent, right. two thirds. I mean, right. it's 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 somewhere in that range. We know it's not a hundred. Everybody, yeah, and everybody's kind of got a different answer, and they've got different technology they've used to try and figure that out. But it's let's just say it's fifty percent. With Kinfrac, if you look at the at the velocity of fluid as a result of that kinetic energy surge, and I will say this. We initially had the name for Kinfrac was called Surge Frac, ah. but Surge Frac was taken in the industry. Okay. So uh, Mike, I believe, came up with the name of Kinfrac for kinetic energy fracking. But but if you imagine this, you're going to get this huge surge when you close that annular valve. Uh, I, I I don't have any data to back this up, and uh, and and I don't know where we would get it. Eventually, we will have it. But how many perforations do you think you open up with a surge 10 times what we currently have? You know, just breaking perforations down in itself, Kinfrac will be an absolute game changer. Sheesh. Man, I love the way you broke that down. The kinetic energy, thinking about that in nature. Think about that big surge. Think about that big pressure surge that you get. You know, think about, I mean, here's I'm drinking a Diet Coke. If I were to put my hand over it and, you know, and shake you know, it get up, all that fizz, get, get that kinetic energy going uh -huh. and then release it all at once. Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. big surge. Right. And that's what we're talking about with Kinfrac. This big surge when you close that angular valve and use that energy, use the energy from this Coke. We won't say what you're drinking there, <laughs> but uh, use that energy from this from this uh, from from this yep. you know, fizz that we have. And the idea, like you broke down the water hammer versus the, the compressible fluid or the kinetic, kinetic energy involved, you can hold a water bottle, correct me if I'm wrong, hold a water bottle with a certain amount of pressure in your hand on the water bottle, you uncork the tap and water's gonna come out the second you uncork it. You do the same amount of pressure, but with soda that has yeah. CO2 compressed yes. into it. Yes. And, and then you do that Yes. How much more violent is the reaction? That's and that's a great word, Troy, violent, because it is a violent reaction um, it, 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 compared to what we do now. Now, you know, what, what some people that have, have looked at this, uh, some of the engineers have looked at this, um, and, and it's the same going back. I, I just think back to 1981 with some of the PhDs at Exxon Research hearing about the catenary, say, well, that, that, you know, we don't understand how that can work. That can't work. Not doing, hey, Exxon's a great research company and those guys are great people. So not putting them down sure, what, sure. whatsoever. But it takes, it takes a while when you have a new concept to really get your head around it. Because what do we like to do about a new concept? You know, there are a few people in the world that are like, yeah, man, that sounds cool. But what are most of us? Most of us are like, nah, oh, that's, that's not right. going to work. Come that's on. That's right. I may not know why it's not going to work, but, <laughs> but I just I know just it's not going to work. I have a feeling here. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that's it. And so I think trying to get this out there in those kind of easy to understand uh, uh, concepts of, of how it could work is. But then is have really, the operational experiences yeah. to answer those questions, yeah. right? And, and you can't get that until you actually go out and start. Uh, fracking a few wells, you know, I mean, we'll start small with a single stage frack on a vertical well and then work up, but we're going to find things that, you know, it's like, ah, I didn't think about that. Well, you know, we'll work, we'll work through it. I love the idea of what you're saying. You can do it in a vertical or a horizontal. If you're going to run down and use the same equipment to frack one stage, you, you frack the first quarter of the whole horizontal doing traditional fracking, slip out those tools and slip in these new tools that were designed, right? 
tractored in the same way. There's really, there's not much risk. There's obviously downtime because you're going to slow down, but you're talking pennies with a $12 million project. You're going to add another couple hundred thousand dollars to try this out. And you're saying you can go in there, knock it all out, bring it out, and then just see what happens, see what the difference is. So one of the other things that, that I've heard as we, as we talk about Kinfrac to people is they say, well, but can the casing really withstand this pressure? Because you're looking at, at something that can generate a whole lot oh, more pressure yeah. than right. a regular frack. Right. Well, you know, think about this. What is, you know, what is, why does a current frack, you know, why, why do you not go in the Haynesville, say, over, you know, whatever, 12,000 PSI or whatever? Well, it's because the rock is, the rock acts like a pressure relief valve. Right. Okay. I mean, you can only pump so much pressure against that rock and it cracks it and parts. you start leaking fluid off. Right. 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 So why is that not going to happen with Kinfrac also? Once you get to a certain pressure, it'll release whatever out that to... rock, the whatever that ah. frack gradient is where you're fracking, it'll release. As soon as you get there, that pressure releases. That big surge, that soda, like you talked about, that violent. Uh, 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 the, the violent release of fluid, you know, what what's going to happen? And what we think is going to happen is that you're going to have a different type of fracture geometry, that you're going to have much more fracture comp complexity because you look at the volume, the velocity, the velocity of fluid that you have going into that fracture, and uh, we believe that it's going to create a much different type of fracture network. You know, you heard starting probably six or seven years ago, probably for the first time in, you know, in, in public at least, you started hearing things about fracture complexity. Yeah. Well, what is fracture complexity? We want more fracture complexity. Yeah. Let me tell you, this is a way that we believe is going to give you a step change in fracture complexity. Have you heard the term fracture complexity, oh, Troy? Yeah. Oh, so there yeah. you go. I mean, of course, you, you, and you probably had people on your podcast talking about how can we get more fracture complexity. Sure. Yeah, I remember drilling wells. You're going, oh, you want to go perpendicular to our maximum horizontal stress because your fracks are going to go out from your well bore real good. And then people say, oh, no, you want to go parallel with the, the maximum horizontal stress because that actually increases the fracture complexity around yeah. near well bore. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, so the fracture complexity is a real thing. You yeah. actually are trying to figure this out. When I was in uh, in school at A and M, uh, believe it or not, we actually uh, we actually do about fracturing there, and uh, had a had a course. Uh, Doctor Steve Holditch taught uh, taught us, and fracks were modeled. Uh, it was called a penny fracture, penny and it fracks, was this yeah. thing was just a you know two wings on it, right? Well, that was the way we thought of fractures back then, and and probably the way we thought about them up until about fifteen years ago. But now we know they're much different animals than that. So, you know, the industry is coming along. That's right. And uh, we're here. Uh, like I say, we're I talking think about it. Kinfrac is, is a way to change the game, we believe. I love that. I love that. What but do you the think problem is, you got, you, you know, it's kind of the mom and pop technology, you know, right. kind of like mom and pop having jet airplane technology, you know? <laughs> well, you know, gee, what am I going to do with this? Uh, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. We need we, some help. We need some help. That's we right. We need help. That's right. Elon Musk's of the world that, uh, you know, that have the luxury, the, the ability to, to really look into something that can be such a game changer. Let's just take the risk. 
find the crews that are going to be out there night and day enjoying the hard work of executing the operational failures because there's going to be that. That's, yeah. Everyone's worried that something's going to fail. It's inevitable. It it's, is. It's it's uh, it's just going to happen. Something's going to fail. You need the right people that are willing to be out there ready for that to happen and yep. ready to respond yep. and fix it. If you get the right team and someone that's ready to take this on, you can't fail. No, and, and let me just reiterate, Troy, one more thing. It really needs to be someone that has a vision, okay? I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be someone that's from the fracking space yeah. or someone that is uh, uh, the greatest engineer in the world. It has to be someone that has the vision and can share that vision and says, I want to change the way we do things in the oil and gas business, Man. and I want to make it better. 